Diplo has kind of done it all. Traveled the world. He's DJed pretty much everywhere. Plays like a thousand parties a week. He's produced a million records and some, well, some, quite a few really, really good records. Uh, as Major Lazer, as himself, he's produced lots of pop stars. He's done side projects. He's extremely prolific. Yeah, serious levels of hustle and an amazing amount of music has been created. Now, the DJ dream of you start young, you collect records, you build up kind of a sample library in your head, and all you really want to do is share that with people. You want to rock parties, and then eventually you add a little bit of ambition and you think, oh, I'd love to share this with more people, have the opportunity to travel, and you get the idea of production in your head. How do I use all these bits and pieces, my musical library, my musical knowledge to make great records and to make great records with other people. Now that whole dream of the DJ producer in its pure form, there are not many people that have taken that and run as far and as fast as Diplo. And it's pretty amazing. We covered everything, his own history starting uh, Florida and the Florida break scene, Miami bass, bar mitzvahs, freestyle, all the way up to traveling through Brazil, London, the making of a record like Paper Planes with MIA, learning production with someone like Switch. We obviously cover backflips, the internet, the pros and cons, kind of state of the modern production landscape, pop music. God, we talked about a lot of stuff. Anyway, it was really, really enjoyable. What I like most talking to Wes is there's a level of excitement and passion that hasn't changed at all through all these years. He's obviously someone who's always looking to combine different elements, um, do things, yeah, in an interesting and fun way, uh, working with different, all kinds of people, cross genre. Yeah, it's a pleasure and it's always uh, lots of fun. So stick around, Last Party on Earth with Diplo. Last. So I've been at home for a year. So I'm not even, I don't even know if I'm like mentally all there right now, but for a while we didn't have to, there was no one to be jealous of. Do you know what I mean? And now yeah. like certain spots are opening up and you see. Maybe New Zealand, but they yeah. suck. Honestly, they have one case, the whole country locks down. We, we, we did lockdown for two weeks and we've been open basically all the whole time, the whole year. Been open, you just can't go to movie theater. <laughs> Everything else people were doing, getting sick, not really caring. People were dying. So I don't know. We've kind of been, it's been a big fake lockdown the whole year. Where have you been the whole time? Were you moving around? Yeah, I was traveling to Jamaica like two times. I've been traveling a lot. Like, I had the best year of my life, man. Like, I fucking bought a house in Malibu. I moved here in November. I've been here since then. My kids are here. It's an amazing place, like basketball court, like pool, like the beaches here. Have a crazy backyard where we do like live, you know, ambient shows, ambient concerts and things. And, and then I traveled. I went to Costa Rica a couple of times. It's like last couple of months just to surf. And it's a real sob story. I, honestly, it was, it, it was the best. It was the best thing that ever happened to me. I said, I didn't make any money. You know, it's like when we're DJs. I know. And also music didn't come out this year. Like no one put out any music. Everybody was afraid to put out music except mm -hmm. a couple of pop stars who, you know, T Taylor Swift put out two albums that both went number one. I don't know anything about that. Like, I don't know. Like, Katy Perry put out an album this year. Ariana Grande, like, nothing really, nothing mattered. It was like a year of no music. Like, the pop stars put out records, nobody cares. Trust me, I've been working, trying to produce, and it's just been, like, dead, no, dead, dead zone. Internet, TikTok, hip-hop. Well, okay, there's a question. Have you been 
Have you been creative? Have you felt like creative energy? Well, in the beginning of the pandemic, I was super into this like spookiness. I was like, I turned into um, Hans Zimmer. I was like, okay, there's nobody coming over. It's me and my fucking sense. I never use these things. I pulled them out. Oh, no, I'm going to become, I'm going to become the synth, synth God. Vangelis can suck my dick. I'm about to make soundtracks for all these movies that, 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 were, that were not good. I'm going to be, I, I started asking questions about 80s. I was watching 80s synth movies. I was watching like Risky Business, like Less Than Zero. Like oh, shit, that's good. Fucking Blade Runner. I was just like, I became like that guy. I was like, the, the world's ending. All we're going to have is our synthesizers and ourselves and, our, and loneliness in our house. So I made like a crazy synth album called MMXX, like just like soundtracks. Yeah, like I heard sad. it, I heard it. So I made like, I made that album during the whole thing. The whole first half was like, fuck, I don't need anybody to come over. I don't need engineers. Just give me, press record. Let me play my fucking uh, OP1. Make this mess happen. So I spent like, I made that like on a week. And that was about the only thing I did. Then I started making some dance music that was already kind of done from last year. So I started releasing dance records that were old. I was like, what am I doing? This whole summer is happening right now. I'm like, I got to put out records. And um, so I dropped some songs. I dropped some dance records that did pretty good, actually. You did the Paul Wolford one, right? Yeah, the Paul Wolford one. I did one called All My Mind. That was, a, that was like a big summer anthem. And, and, uh, I've lost track of time completely. Like, I don't know when was, I don't know what happened when. I actually, I don't know when that came out. Yeah, it was no, oh, that was recently, it was November, man. It was like the end of summer. It was like August, September. It was June. It was June. It was June of last year. Last it was summer. almost a year ago. Yeah. It's good to have done a record in like the forgotten summer. Yeah, actually, I play that song though. I've been doing some shows like recently. That song does not work in a club. It's crazy. It is not, has, it's zero. It's, it's also like a weird key. Has no intro. It was a radio. It's just like it goes straight. It goes straight in a vocal. I made a bunch of versions. Just like it doesn't really like. I think I need to make like a fucking like. I need to make like a really big like crystal clear kind of like '80s synth drum version of the song because it's got such a cool bassline. But it's such a it's it was written acoustically. You can tell that it kind of feels like a remix. You know. Yeah. It was big on the radio. It was a big radio record. Radio House. It was a Radio House record. It went number one in England, my first radio number one, and for a solo record. And 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 her voice is awesome. And Paul Wolfer is like a legend. I'm so glad like we've done a lot of ideas together. And I'm glad we did a record that I think it's a pop record, but everybody likes it. So it's like it crossed over and like the you know, it's it's a cool record too, which is which is awesome. I'm glad we got to get that one out. Paul's amazing. And that's like a real sweet spot of like like real credibility and radio performance. Yeah. The thing about Paul is like everybody knows who he is like on bbc radio one like he's like an underground kind of dj special request is one of the most underground like breakbeat record like artists there are but everybody at radio one wanted him to win like annie mack love mm -hmm. paul wilford you know um all the djs on there mr jam like they all wanted they all like know him as like the legend in the dj world so like look he's gonna put a record out we can play let's fucking run it to the moon and that's what happened with him i think people mm -hmm. wanted him to win this record sounds so good too. That's what I always yeah. like. So he'll do like the he did like, he did like thirty he did like thirty uh, mixes of the drums. So, and I I can't tell one difference in the in the last ten versions. He was doing kind of like slightly revival '90s breakbeat stuff, but it yeah. sounded so good that you couldn't discount it. You know, it just it just the production's so good. Yeah, he did a remix of the song a "Special Request." It's, it, I don't I don't know how you play that kind of breakbeat music. It doesn't work in anywhere <laughs> anywhere I go, but it's. If I if I play like a rave in London for like over fifty year old, year old people, maybe I put some SL two records on or something, like it could be like a vibe. But an over fifty rave? I'm, th I'm thinking. I was thinking about that. I was thinking about <laughs> who likes breakbeat because it was had a moment, you know, with Prodigy. Oh, like yeah. it was. It was like radio, but I don't know who. 
like how you can do a whole like hour of that. For me, with the thing with breakbeat is I always wonder like, how, breakbeat's not that easy to actually dance to. No, you got to be like kooky, like yeah, you wear like a oversized pants. Like you either got to go kind of hacky sack. Yeah, full full dragon stick hacky sack. Or, I mean, there are very few people that can do it well. That's why I think a lot of that breakbeat stuff works well, like works better outside the club too. So welcome to the show. Yeah. Well, first of all, just because we're talking breakbeat, I just want to ask you, so you're from Florida, right? Right, right. When you were growing up in Florida, because like I remember in the early, in the 90s, for me, Florida, I always associated with, it was like a little bit, I caught the tail end of freestyle. I guess I got Miami bass. And then I remember even the rave and club stuff in Florida was kind of breaky. Did you play down there during that time? I never played. I went to that Firestone. Remember that place? Yeah, Firestone's a legendary club. I actually played there before it closed down. And I um and there was a place there was a place you might have played back in the day called um Simon's. It was in Gainesville. And it was like the underground, like the legendary like underground house club in Florida. But it was a college town. But back then, I mean I used to work in downtown Disney and when I was like 20, no, I was like way younger, I was like 18. And I remember they had a club there. And um, like bands like Nirvana would play, and then they would they would kick they would get rid of the people, and then have like a DJ Icy and Hootie Hootie or these very few DJs would 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 play after like Nirvana and and be a bigger crowd after yeah. like grunge bands in the late nineties. Um, That's what I was gonna ask. I was gonna ask you about if guys like Icy, if that yeah. had influence on on you early on. One hundred percent. My my career, my the first thing I ever recorded on on like my. I I don't want your I didn't really look at your questions ahead yeah, of time fills on the way, but I the one I, I answered the first one in my head about what my first song I bought was. But um when I was growing up, I used to tape the radio and I was like a pop station there that played freestyle, a lot of freestyle. So I like my favorite record back then was Debbie Deb. When I hear music, I taped that. Oh, yeah. And I love Madonna too. Madonna has a song called Cherish, it had a song called um Physical Attraction. Like there was like records I just grew up with, I just loved them. And the early like, Madonna like, stuff, like the Jelly Bean stuff, was kind of freestyle. yeah. It was very, it was it was freestyle. It was like it was definitely pop versions of freestyle records. I mean, I was older. The, the freestyle records probably came out. The big ones like Debbie Davis, TVB came out ten years before me, but it was they became like classics on the radio. Like they're the mix show staples. They were like the like like you would drop it on like it's hot in the radio still. Like on Power One Hundred Six here in LA, you know, it's like you always play like big old old West Coast records or whatever. Freestyle was like my favorite music growing up. It was, and I love Miami bass, but Miami bass was really ghetto. It was like stuff you played at birthday parties. Even if you went to all, if you went to bar mitzvah. <laughs> I like how you, you went like a, super ghetto to birthday party and bar mitzvah. Just like. No, because I'm, I'm serious. Like it doesn't matter who you are in South Florida. If you went to like a bar mitzvah in like the early nineties, there would be like a Miami bass section or like a, a student, a prom or whatever. It'd be like Miami bass, like part of the, of the, of like the party. Yeah. Or like kids that could do dance. Even like the white girls like do dances to like, my base was big in bar mitzvahs. I did a lot of bar mitzvahs. I lived in like Fort Lauderdale. So it was like very, uh, it was like very Jewish. It was like a middle-class Jewish neighborhood. It's the tagline of the show right here. Bar mitzvah by base parties. But I love, there, there's an evolution of, of uh, electro. I mean, breakbeat, what we we're talking about a minute ago is not the same. No. You call it breakbeat in Florida, but it was like, it was different. It was an extension of like, of course, Kraftwerk came out with Transgender Express, right? We all know this. Then Bambada made it. And then, you know, 
Bambata flipped it. And I guess those, like, there's a lot of Detroit guys too that were doing the same sign as Kraftwerk. And a lot of those records, like Model 3000, were played in Miami and Luke. They were and played the as party guys, records in Miami. Yeah, there were party records in Miami and people would put vocals on them. Like, you'd have like Play at Your Own Risk and like Planet Patrol. And even like, I think like there was like some Detroit bass records, like early, I don't even know if they were considered techno yet, but this is like before techno, oh, right? Yeah, that kind of stuff would get played at parties. I wouldn't know what the fuck they were, but people would like do ghetto shit, like ride the dick, ride the dick, ride the dick. And they put like, they play like Detroit basically techno records, but like bass, the bass ones. And then we started making our own in Miami. And that was like the first one was like Two Live Crew. And then there was like a lot of offshoots. There was like MC ADE. Uh, uh, Big Al there was like MCAD was like one of my favorite guys but uh, it was Afro Weekend and then uh, Uncle Al so Uncle Al was like the big one like mix it up and like there's Uncle Al was like the big big guy and I knew all his records but there's a group called Jam Pony Express they're like my favorite DJs they played like bass records and like 70s disco records up really fast and they would just like rap on all the records like it'd be like just a whole party like an hour of it and then that was like the ghetto stuff in Miami. And then there's a guy named Magic Mike from Orlando who made bass music that was instrumental. That's just for your cars and more like the white kids like listen to that. Like Magatron was like the white kid. Like it was like, how big are your speakers in your car? Boom, it was slow. It was like boom, ba-chum, ba-boom. Rhythm and blues just really won't move you. But this type of jam will groove you. And if you're tired of hearing the same old song, pop up the volume and listen to the bass drum. Cause if the groove is smooth and moves the crowd, then it's a proven point that the bass is loud. Come on, y'all, get with it, dance to it. And if you can't keep up the pace, your mic. Drop the bass. That's what I listen to mostly. The white people took over like what what Magic Mike and Magatron did. And it was like also like Mantronics, Man Parish, all those records got played, electro stuff. But the white people took that music and made it their own, the car music. And that that traveled out of Miami to like Orlando and Tampa. And then it became then became the breakbeat guys. Then it was icy. Those records became like more like acid with acid and and, and, and Miami bass. That became like the scene that when I was like in high school. By the time I got older, like even like early college, I would go to the raves and like fairgrounds and, and they play. That became rave music. That yeah, was like that became like the music. Florida rave music. And that was, uh, it's crazy. When I went to, when I first started going to London, like when I was signed to Ninja Tune, there'd be full crates that says like Florida Breaks. Florida they'd, be like, they'd, be like, they'd be like, techno house, whatever. And it'd be Florida Breaks. And yeah. I would be, I'd be like, what? These guys are like making, and then there's people like Stan Wars, a bunch of like English guys made Florida Breaks. I remember playing Fabric and there'd always be like a, a Florida Break, it'd be like Breakbeat guy. They would make like, like yeah. that kind of music would play at the club in a different room. But I grew up going to Florida break parties and warehouses in Daytona or like Orlando or like Titusville. And it'd always be hip hop rooms too with like under, well, at the time, like far side would play or like those kind of groups. So that was like my two biggest things that I liked was like breakbeat, Miami, Florida breaks and like hip hop. Cause they were, they were like the same parties would have those different rooms. Yeah. Cause I was, I was just wondering, cause when I, in the DNA of a lot of the Florida break stuff, I just thought, it, the, it ticks a lot of the boxes of your, I guess, like the foundations of your production, which is basically, it's like big beats. Yeah. Some sweet, like a sweet chorus on top. When I first broke into the scene, I was like doing, my first big record was like the, the MIA record, Bucky Dunn Gun. I was like a Brazilian funk, like it's my first yeah, production as Diplo. And, and that was like Miami bass, but then Brazil did a whole other thing with, 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 with the breakbeat, the Florida breakbeat that became funk music and that's like the big one of the biggest genres in the world right now you know because it's, it's basically the biggest genre in all of brazil and they play it like in europe now different places but that was like I, it's crazy that was my first production and it was a very florida like florida sounding record but no one would 
understand the roots of it, I guess, unless you really, unless you're like a nerd like us. remember like you know obviously when everything was when it was only vinyl i mean you know we sometimes a dj would come from out of town and we would like trade we do like a swap meet and yeah. i remember uh and that was the only way to get the record you know and i remember this guy onions from new york i don't know if you ever heard of that guy uh he gave me the first icy white label um shit what was it called anyway whatever so i had fine it, day. Like, which one was it called fine day no i don't think so he he sampled that like old school. It was it was like Miss Jane. It was like a four tracker, and each track was a bomb. And I see, I mean, he yeah. had the formula so down. Like it was such big party records. I just remember yeah. for like for like two months, I was the only guy in Canada with an IC record. I feel like Montreal could really get down with that like Florida break sound, like the acidy, yeah. like with the female vocals, like dreamy, like very ecstasy, like yeah. get fucking uh, like get get faded and dance like a like hacky sack. It was a real sweet spot. So what? Uh, so what's the first record you bought with your own money? It was probably Diggable Planets, uh, Rebirth of Slick, like a hip hop record. I bought it on cassette single, like when I was in like middle school. It was either that or Far Side, Pass Me By. One of those two records. One of those huge cassettes singles. Remember they had cassette singles? Of course. Had one had like a, a and B side. Yeah, and they came in either a little. They had like a little cardboard sleeve. Like you just pushed them in a little. Yeah, a little cardboard sleeve. The Puba of the styles like miles and shit. Like 60s funky worms with waves and perms. Just sending junky rhythms right down your block. We beat to rap what key beat to lock. But I'm cool like that. 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 I'm cool. Yeah, I had to pump up the jam, I think. As a Yeah. That was around the same time, actually. Like 10. That was like five years earlier. How old were you? Uh, must have been thir- 12, 13. So like you went to the shop with, with your friend? Yeah, we went to, it was a place called Peaches in Florida. At that point, I was in military school because I was such a fucking disaster of a, a student, human being. Your parents sent you to military school? It was a last resort. I'd gotten kicked out of every, like, I, I got kicked out of, like, middle school. Me and my friend, who I'm still friends with today, were, like, the worst kids in middle school. This shit hits home right now. I got you. I, I deal with this shit. This shit's real. If someone tells me they were problematic as a 13-year-old boy, I got to pay attention right now. It was, it was, oh yeah, 13 year old boys going crazy right now. Are they being bad though? No, they're, they're being pretty, they're being amazing, but you know, my son, I'm so I mean, imagine, imagine being 13. Imagine this is a fucking prime. And my third, my son is, he's cool. Like he's, and he's losing prime real estate in lockdown. Oh, it's, yeah, you know, oh my God. You can ima- I mean, imagine they're going out with masks. They're trying to, it, it's like, it's crazy. That sucks. Yeah. And they're also kind of getting too stuck on the internet. And like, I see, like, I'm dealing with like a lot of young people, like even I write music with, and they're like, they're like 19, 20. And they're, they are such a severe addiction to internet. Not even just like being on it all day long, but being, but caring about it too much. It's insane. I would, I would hate to have that kind of pressure. I'm lucky that I'm, I'm active on the internet, but I don't take it seriously at all to where I could like, I could lose everything and just be like, okay, cool. If they're like Twitter was hacked or their Instagram was dis- disabled, their life ceased to exist, you know? Like an extension of them. 
Okay, then I got to jump around. I want to ask you a question. In my in my little world, um, you were probably the first person I knew who, from my standpoint, I'm not calling. I'm not saying you're some kind of like futurist or whatever. But you were one of the first people I knew who was like using social media effectively. Like you seem to have like you seemed always to be really comfortable with it. It seemed to have been like. And when you say right now you don't care about it, I mean, obviously it's been helpful and it's a big part of everything you do, but what, does it ever stress you out? Oh yeah, hundred percent. It does, right? I'm not yeah. crazy. If you're not engaging, like now, like the one, I was really early on with, with Instagram and Twitter because I think working with MIA again was like, we were internet based. We were like against the labels. Like we, we were like, we, we don't need this label. We don't need major labels to help us push our agenda because we can like, we can go to like underground record shops and I can be on Twitter and I can be on, we can just talk shit on here and like get on the internet and do and make our music available. That was a big deal. Cause the labels were like confused by that. It was still a huge distribution system. They were so slow to migrate to like everything from streaming to internet per, per, having internet presence was like, they, none of them did it. So we accessed, we accessed like music that way. And I was like, Oh, Twitter is amazing. I can just talk shit. And like, I can get people like following what I'm doing. And it was like total chaos. I mean, the things, I could never run for president now because of the stuff I said on Twitter. Like it was so hmm. problematic nowadays, but it was all back then, uh, you know, I think when it was a, a select few of people on the internet, sarcasm like made sense. Like we knew that oh, it yeah. was sarcasm. Now it doesn't, you can't be sarcastic. You can't do anything facetious. I can't pull up my old, my old tweets. I just, yeah, it's, it's impossible to do now. You people don't understand that kind of comedy. Um, or even if they do, they like to, it's, it's easy to tear it down. Like it's easy to take it down. Even no matter, no matter what you do. But nowadays, like I'm looking at TikTok, like I have to always perform on there. And I don't really have the energy to do that. But okay, but if okay, so if you have the beginning phase, like the disruption phase and like the exciting future phase, but like if you get from that to like back the backflips off cliffs and stuff like that, like when you're when you're doing a backflip now, like in your in your <laughs> I can't do a backflip, <laughs> by the way. No, but if you jump off a cliff now and film it, like is there a part of you which is like, what the fuck? This is just stress. Like, is this just, or is it no, just now? Are you just I, totally? It's crazy. I'm looking at my desktop. I have like ten backflips I never posted, so I backflip way more than I post at these. At this oh, you like? But, you, um, oh, you have like a storehouse of backflips to just. I have a, well, if anybody's around, you do a backflip. Someone's gonna record it just because, like, oh wow, backflip. Yee, let's watch this. But I just backflip off of everything in the water because I just it's, it's like that's after you're done swimming, you're bored. Just, let's jump off stuff now. When you go on a little swimming vacation. No, no, I, I, I'm not talking about the actual flip. I mean about the the, the posting. But, of- but yeah, but it was cool in the beginning. But then I, I think everybody saw me do a backflip. So now it's like I got I got to like expand my like my my persona beyond backflips. But I just noticed I have a really good backflip on here. That might maybe I'll share screen with you. Yeah, I think no, I probably okay. have to do that real quick. <laughs> oh really? <laughs> I, I'll, I'll, I'll put I'll put it in the chat. But um, I feel pressure. I feel okay. I'm going back to this. I feel pressure because at least even if I'm not um, Instagram and Twitter, I kind of like do, I run all myself and it's sometimes funny. Sometimes it doesn't, sometimes I get an algorithm. Yay. Something buzzes and maybe makes my music work, but I work with a major label now with some projects and they really believe that, you know, the success for a record is going to be 75% your marketing on the internet that you do yourself. And the 25% is going to be like behind what the label can do. if the song's actually good. You can put a terrible song up there and go viral with it with a little bit of, you know, succinct internet energy, dark energy. We have to have dark crystals and like wizards help you do it. I like that. But then succinct internet energy, you should S I E that should yeah, be like S I E you need that. <laughs> but I'm kind of, I mean, I'm lazy. I don't do that sometimes. I got no S I E none. I never did any of that with my, my dance records. 
I got lucky that some of them like happened to activate on TikTok. I was like, okay, let's put money into it now. Like I told label, like, let's do this. And it works. Like, you know, it's crazy to have a record. That's like a dance record that goes on TikTok. It was like two or three a year. But you know, there was last year, the biggest record of the whole year, the entire the whole year was a dance record by Iman Beck remix of roses, right? A random remix of St. John was the biggest streamed record of the whole year by a random producer from Uzbekistan. So like it's, it's these things happen. If something goes on, on a viral and it's like a European, Amer it just happens. So you can, you can't ignore the power of that. No. If you want to put a great record out and you think it's big, you might have to, you know, re-strategize how you, how you market it. But that's for me, I'm actually too lazy to do that these days. Like I want to put out records and hopefully it goes in my scene and the people like them, they play them and that's cool. But to spend all the rest of the time, you really risk being a cornball, you know? And like, and like people can see through that, especially in the dance scene, people can see through that because they know that it really, the what records in the dance scene, they have to make you, make you, make you dance and make you feel good. Mm -hmm. Records in the pop scene, they literally have to just be part of the zeitgeist and they don't have to have anything good about them, honestly. But dance music, you can't fake it. I can't play a really bad dance record that doesn't work at all, but we have like all the internet energy on it and you have to play it. I'm like, eh. no, 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 no. In that sense, really there's work. something in that sense, there's still something kind of honest about it. It's like telling a joke, you know, it's still, yeah. I mean, when I, I went back to this whole podcast, I feel like when I used to listen to records as a young person, like my tape collection, my vinyl collection, everything I had, like gave me goosebumps. Every record I collected had like, I could smell the record. Right. I knew it that moment I heard it the first time. I don't think that happens with kids anymore. I don't think I, mean, I must do it. It doesn't happen with me. But I think a lot of the records don't like, they're just forced down your throat. Like the Spotify top 50 is like, come on, these records cannot have an effect on people's yeah. lives. Like, I think they also, maybe they do. I, mean, maybe I think they also compete with so much more. They do. You know, like we, I, I, with, we won't go into too much like old man stuff, but um, <laughs> you know, but, but a song you loved could just kind of exist. It had its own space for much longer. So for you to really get attached to it, I think. It wasn't competing with, you know, you weren't just being bombarded all day with new, new things to look at. Well, just quickly, like now that when you, for example, you know, pandemic starts and you all of a sudden there's less travel and there's less chaos and you kind of, you can take stock and you can make your Vangelis record and you start to, you know, you, you, you have a bit of space at any point, like if you could hit a magic switch and turn off all the social media, all the, mm -hmm. all that two way relationship with the world, would you do it? Like, do you know what I mean? Like once you taste that idea, cause I always had this idea, like my dream in life was to be like a Bond villain who didn't have a phone, you know? Like that, that was my dream. My dream was like, you can't reach me. I don't reach you. There's no, there's no back and forth. I think I'm, I think I'm like, a, <laughs> I think I'm like a, a really by the books, full on addict to internet because I keep saying to myself like, you know, one more year, let me just put this more records out and get a little more stuff going on. And then I'm, okay. I'm unplugging everything. It's but, been like that for like 10 years. <laughs> so I've been like, I'm kind of waiting to just like fall off totally. Like somehow, like I just like, I can't come back from this. Like I did something so bad or like I, I like I crashed an airplane or like some shit like that where I just like, there's got to, I don't know if I, I don't know if I'm going to step out myself to be like, I'm like, okay. You don't have the strength to drop out yourself. You're waiting. I kind of want to fall off because then I'm like, okay, cool. Then now I can't like, cause I, I've been, I've been on a slow climb really weirdly. I keep like, keep pulling through every year and like doing records that are, that I feel like have an impact. And I, I keep like, if, if you keep getting it, you know, if you keep, if it keeps feeling good, I want to do it. Cause this, this music, the music life, it's hard to do. It's hard to be part of it. And if you're, if it's, if the energy is good, there's not really a reason to jump step out of it. I feel like, 
No. My kid feels like an addict. Like I feel like, but I, but at the same time, I feel like, man, this year was the first year where like, damn, my kids are getting older. We're like, I really like love my time with them. It's so much more precious. I really see that. Damn, I can't believe I missed all this shit that's going on. Like I, I got them a basketball coach now because they don't have any place to play. I'm like, let me just invest in my kids. because That's more important than investing in anything else. So I felt great. I, I really think I can do a lot of that. I can, I can kind of find a balance. It's going to make me crazy, but I love, I love being busy. And I love the chaos. So I kind of like, I keep, keep leaning towards it. I think I was going to say like you, obviously you're good at handling the chaos. Yeah. I think it's, I feel like you, you find a good spot in it. I've seen you in action. It's like you, you, and that I think is a very, very valuable skill over the last like 10 years. So what's a, uh, what's a record that made you want to make records? Oh, wow. I really got to ask these questions. Okay. Um, a record that made me record. Okay. I'm going to say, this is the whole out probably the whole dj shadow introducing album mm. that sounds that sounds weird but it was like i saw the i was really a hip-hop fan i was obsessed with like pete rock and dj premier and these producers using samples in such a weird way and like maybe it was the diversity in the samples i thought hip-hop was sort of like the future of all music because you had these guys in the bronx rapping over like about street shit but it's over like a psychedelic rock record with disco, it was just like, it was, it was like the perfect mu- music, just a disaster of, of, of sound coming together. And it made a song. You're like, damn, I really, I really feel like I understand what these guys in the books are like dealing with. And like, I'm like part of this world now. I'm like the music, like I think Gangstar and those records really Jay Swift to do the first Farside album, probably like Farside, Bizarre Ride to the Farside or, uh, or DJ Shadow introducing the two records that made me want to like start producing records. Cause I was like, I was like a record collector. I like loved the idea of samples and like and like music becoming other music, like the idea of sampling. I don't really consider I'm not really a musician as much as I like sampling. It's a language I actually understand. The 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 more pure musical languages just frustrate. Yeah. In a way. Also, I think that me and you had that skill that when we see a blank slate, which is you know, like our the, the blank DAW or like whatever a MPC or sampler, we can think of things in that that that's that frame of mind. We can think of like, oh, this these things could happen here. When you're like a classically trained musician. I've, I spent the whole pandemic actually learning guitar and like becoming better at piano, like doing things that like help me be a musician, but which is cool. Cause you put something in key when you're playing along the song and you can, you can, you can, you can start to develop weird things. Weird ideas can come to you that, that didn't come to my mind as like a sample based producer, but that I would never trade my skill as a sample based producer, like seeing sound waves and manipulating them. Mm-hmm. That's something that a lot of musicians c- can't really figure out. And that's what I think makes dan- electronic music interesting because it's a whole, it's a different language, the way you look yeah. and visualize music more than like saying, dra- just picking up a guitar and playing something. So I would never trade that in. I would never trade in the idea of like, I can think of weird things to do with a record by looking at them and thinking about the being a, and, and keeping my, my backlog of references in my mind. Like, Oh, these disco producers did this or these hip hop producers did this. Or like, why do they use a sitar? And all these things in my mind help you like visualize what a record could be that you can't do traditionally would just like a virtuoso would do Does that make sense yeah 100 percent. i think also it, it really it i also think it's it's similar to 
the chaos we we're just talking about. Like I, I think sampling, there's yeah. a nice chaos to it too. Like when you, you put these things together and you know, for me, what I've always loved about it, not to get too shrinky, but I, I love the idea of making use of everything you've heard and seen yeah. is a very comforting feeling. Do you know what I mean? Like I'm, I'm saying even wide in your life, it's like that feeling of like, oh, that weird record my dad played for me when I was a kid, I'm gonna somehow add that to my story. Even as a musician, when you're, when you're making music, you're a product of, of, your, of your teachers and what you like and the things you enjoy and your, and your theory that you learned. But as a DJ, you're a product of all the things that you just like DJ, what, what you want to share with people. Because that's what DJs do. Our job is like, here, here's my 500 records I want to play for you tonight. And I'm going to give you these selections because you deserve these. And that's like what a DJ does. They kind of build the rhythm off of their repertoire and their history. And that's something that's like a new skill we just, you know, we've created the human race created in the last 50 years is just like the world, the way a DJ does his job. So I think that as, as a songwriter, yeah, we're like, basically it's like, a, we're like librarians or something. It's like, it's like, it's like actually more complex to make music the way we do sometimes and just say like a traditional, you know, bass player would make. Like in all the years, as you've like now, when you're working with a pop star or a vocal, like, do you still feel fundamentally that DJ sample approach? <laughs> I don't know. I think, I think, I think the, like my, the whole game I play is like the, the DJ side is the easiest thing we can do because we go, we go on shows and we collect a bag of money and we play shows. And that's like, that's like most of my economics is that, you know, but at the same time, I love sitting in the studio. I love being, I love working with people. I love being like an A&R and marketing people. I've done a lot of stuff this last year where I just like help people with their records instead of like, instead of touring my own records and producing my own records, I've, I've done other people's records. And that's, that's a skill too. I love that. Like I love being like invited to someone's project and be like, Hey, how about this idea as a producer? And they're like, I don't know about that. I'm like, try it. And they're like, Oh, that's kind of cool. You know? Cause that's kind of what you do as that's what I've always been when I, when I'm working in like Hollywood, when I'm working in LA in the music scene, I was always like that, like outsider guy. They bring in for like the weird record. And every once in a while I got lucky and did like a cool record with them. And it was big, like Justin Bieber's where, where are you now? Like something like that. Like I was like, let's get a little, let's get a little credibility from this guy. But then if you can flip that into a big record, that just gives you that like power to do that a little bit. But then honestly, the rat race of producing pop records is so crazy. Cause anything you do interesting, it's stolen by a thousand other guys immediately, you know? And you have to yeah. be on it. You have to make something else new. Same thing with rapping. I mean, if you're a rapper, man, I've seen all these rappers since the last year, these young rappers, they go away so quickly because right behind them is another 17-year-old stealing their ideas but doing it crazier with crazier face tats or crazier story or whatever it is. We lost like the whole like sensibility of like what's good, you know? There's two things I always really liked when I, your, your career, your setup. One was I love collaborating with people. I love, there's the musical side to it and there's also just the, the social side of it, just the, 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 that it challenges you. I love the, the instinctual things that happen when you're just with another person, when you're bouncing and challenging yeah. and, and fencing with someone else, it brings out the best. And also when you're in kind of on kind of like dangerous ground, you know, you're, you're, the, the security's gone and good ideas happen. And you do that a lot and you're obviously really comfortable with that. But what I really love and I really envy and the, the Bieber tracks a good example is, I just love the idea of being the guy or a guy who gets to add the weirdness, who gets to sneak in a bit of the weirdness into the mainstream. Yeah. 
Like that's such, that's such an, I mean, obviously you don't have total control over when it happens or how it happens, but when it happens, it, it, it it's, it must be a good feeling. You got to do it a lot because it's like, I wouldn't even do it. I wouldn't, I don't think I'll ever be able to do it again because you have to babysit these artists. Like you have to like be part of the scene. And that's like a full-time job to be like installed with those guys. You can't just like, it's not like the old days when I just could kind of, I mean, nowadays I, I would literally have to like live at Post Malone's house for a month to get something done with them. You know what I'm saying? Like there's so much going on all the time. And like, you don't, there's not like the old days when like Rick Rubin would be the whole producer of a record. Right. It's like, yeah. there's just like little pieces being picked around and everything like that. So you have to be right there to get your piece. Yeah. It seems like there's so many people involved and it must be, it seems like it's all becoming closer to like making a movie. It is like where, where there's, you know, where, where the, the, the real dictatorial power is like, diffuse and there's so much happening there's also like so many cooks in the room i don't want to talk about the new the, the music scene today i don't even i'm honestly not even part of it like the pop scene like i don't i don't even know what's going on it's it's a it's a, it's in a it's in a very very chaotic place like post-covid who knows what's going to happen like right now these like a bunch of 15 year olds running the scene because they're like all on tiktok but when kids start to go out to shows again it's going to be a different world like when we have energy again i think things are going to clear clear up a lot they're going to be it's going to be a lot different now than it, than it will be in six months next six months we'll have a whole different world 100 percent, i see that yeah well i think in general the tricky thing with covid has handed the whole planet over to a, a different species basically it's like it it's like well, look what's happened in business and tech, right? It's like the whole world has gone crypto, for example. Yeah. It's like, it's like the, 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 and, and basically all of us, well, I don't know, the people who excelled in real life, whether that's, and DJs and parties are a great example, like the people who excelled by an actual physical happening are, well, I guess they're not, they don't have all the power right now. Yeah. The commodity is a little bit lower because it's just not happening. They're putting on the back burner a little bit. Yeah. Well, that's the source of the strength is, is the actual, yeah. the, the real life event. Yeah. So we're living in a place where it's not real life. I mean, some of these kids, like I see on the internet, like they're doing things. I'm like, man, these people have no idea how to even see, talk. But the, like the language of the internet <laughs> in, a, in a marketing brand is so like, it's the only language they know that when you, they can't hold a conversation, they don't even know what, what real life is. I've, I've yet to meet one that really is successful at real life and successful on internet life equally. It's, it's been, a, it's, it's not, they don't have that balance, but they're going to have to get it. Cause I mean, even no matter what you're doing on the internet, there's always like, I feel like there's always like a 15 minutes. You have to really put, push the, push the break, push the gas. Right. Cause you never know what's going to end. You know, even my career, I've kind of been like that. And it's like, it's lasted longer than I, than I've, than I could have imagined, but you always want to, you know, Musicians, we're in the same we're in the same uh, boat as athletes. You know, you have a prime career, and you expect an injury. You never, no one's going to be Tom Brady. You're always going to be a fucking linebacker with four years or whatever experience or something. You know, musicians are the same way. We have like a little tiny window. We got to fucking run it and gun it. I think DJs are lucky because we actually DJs have a fucking DJs have a long window. They're yeah, more we have like, a long window because what the, our 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 skill level is like kind of is actually based on like our history. It's weird, mm. you know, like that's something rappers, they don't care about. It's like, what about what it's about? Whatever you're doing the now, what's the now happening? But with DJs, a lot of my favorite ones are still, they're still working. They're still gigging because they're, they get better. You know, maybe as DJs, as like collectors of music, as people that create environments for it, for parties and create rhythmic scenery for people. But, um, you know, when all said and done, we're not going to, we're not going to hear about some of the DJs that were like flashing the pan DJs. 
You know, I remember there's a DJ when I was coming up in LA called DJ Blend. It was BL3ND and he had like a Chucky mask. And he was like a hot DJ for like a year. And people were like, oh my God, he was at a Vegas residency for a minute. And then people were like, what the fuck is this? Like, it's like two years later, like there was a scene where anybody could be a DJ. Like it was like just mm-hmm. whatever. And it was, you know, when the, when the dust settled, yeah, I mean, you kind of, you kind of felt like, oh, these guys actually, this is their life. They, they're really DJs. It wasn't like uh, something they just Googled and saw they can make money doing this. Let's go back to the questions. We got, we're, we're, we're on the old man stuff. I don't want to talk about how much I hate it. Yeah, no, that's why. Don't worry. I was just letting you peter out there and I'm moving on to a... Peter out. What's a record that makes, what's a record that makes you jealous? Because it's so good. I'm going to probably give you like such a basic, basic ass record, but um, I'll probably say Around the World by Daft Punk. It just like feels like a perfect record. Actually, my favorite, you know, another one I really like, that's probably my funeral record, though, maybe, too, is, is, is Rock the Casbah by The Clash. I listened to that yesterday. <laughs> because that whole era of their music, I mean, if I could, if I could say I wanted, I wanted to, like, base my career after anything, it might be, like, Joe Strummer's, you know, migration from, like, the punk guy to, like, the political guy to, like, the disco to, like, the, to be on the forefront of hip-hop to make dance records as a rock guy. That's, like, so hard. Like, none of, the guys, none of you guys have done it right, you know? Like... And um, that record is like might be might, might be the perfect record. Rock the castle. It's a perfect record. It does everything. It ticks all the boxes. The boys and boys are standing on the radiator grill. Ah! Be no like What's the best record you ever made or your favorite? I know it's hard. It's not at all. It's going to be, uh, it's probably going to be Paper Planes with MIA. Fucking bomb. Cause it's just, it's just like, it just it, like back to the clash. It did, it, did, it, it samples the clash. So it was like me saying how much I love that band. Uh, at the time we wrote the lyrics together and it was like, we were watching the wire a lot, the TV show. We just kind of took a lot of like words from that show. And then, uh, switch uh mixed it for me because it sounded like shit with the way i made it and it was like i was like love this thing and people were like no and we had the kids in there singing this hook and it was just like a it made fun of everything going on in music and it became big at the same time it was just crazy that's just like all the perfect storm of record and she had the energy around her it was just so crazy and um it had a slow start but we got lucky with you know back to internet we got we got on a trailer for pineapple express and that was the reason that song got big it was like a little thing, a little underground thing, and it became big. I went on the radio because of this one, this one thing. You just, man, I'm telling you right now, the one thing I've learned after 20 years of doing this shit, no matter how good your records are, it always is like one random accident that makes a record big. It's never like, your record's so good, it's just going to go to the moon by itself. It's never like that, you know? Paper Planes has it. It's just got that magic that that you can't you can't put your... I mean, whatever, there's a bunch of ingredients, but it has the total, total magic. It's such a... It's such a good record. The simplest proof of the records that have real magic is like my kids who almost reflexively diss anything I like at this point. <laughs> Paper Planes is 
It's like, it's like the one thing everyone can agree on. Like we, we've listened to that song so much and it, it just, it's honestly too, it's probably one of the record only records that like, I think it really reflects like the love that we had together. I mean, this girl, because like, Uh, it's, you 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 can't, you can, it's like literally like we were just, it's so all the best parts of us together came together to make that record. Like we were like, in love we were fighting though and like we were like this and that all that was happening and just like the energy was there and the market and you think about records like tumbling dice by rolling stone you read stories about some of these records getting written you two records you know oh it's not just a record would mac it's yeah even better example when i think about these sessions now it's like there's 65 writers there there's a guy with a calculator like picking like the demographics there's like a guy like that's how records are getting made now and no one's no one's making, in love no one's no one's making records like with just their like, girlfriend or like somebody they know and like they're no it's, it's never you don't have these like these this chemistry anymore you have like it's literally like there's like a accountant at at sessions you know i think putting together the data There was, a, there was a little scene in Philly like when I was like kind of becoming a DJ, like getting money for it. There was a house scene there, but it was weird. It went through different ways. The house scene, when I first got there. King Brit. It was King Brit. It was black. It was black house Boy music. Lake. Exactly. It was it was King Brit. It was uh, Rich Medina and it was um, Victor Duplay. And it was black. Oh, yeah. And the white kids in the downtown were playing hip hop. And then it changed. It became the white kids playing. The, and it became Danny. It became like, uh, you know, transit. And it was Dave Pianca's parties after that became more like yeah. the soul wax kind of LCD scene. And then I was, but I was always the outsider to those guys. Like no one ever gave me fucking any help. I still love Dave today, but like all those promoters are like, I had to make my own party for them to like respect me. And it was, it was hollow trunks. It was like the party party. Like it was like, they're like, we don't give a fuck. We'll play some of your records. So we'll play some techno records. We'll put hip hop on it. We'll do whatever. We don't care. It was like, it was like soul wax or too many DJs, but not very well produced. It was like more, we mix vinyl live and stuff. Like we weren't like, we weren't mixing things ahead of time. And, um, it was DIY. And I think that finally we had like, we met together. We became part of this Philly scene. It was like, you had Dave, you had, you had Richard Dean, you had the black Neo soul scene. You had spank rock and you had all this like uh, New York, like plastic little, this hip hop guys. And you had like um, Papa Noke and these other arm. It was like a weird, the city was on fire for a while. Philly was great. It wasn't for that, but I had, I had to do, I had to go to parties with like all the ammunition. Like, I don't give a, f- I was like party, 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 party. And then when I got big doing that stuff, I was like, damn, I was making music on Ninja Tune that was super weird. And I was super mm-hmm. like lo-fi down tempo, but I was like getting really big as a DJ. So I was like confused. Like my scene, I would go to London to play these like parties with like Ninja Tune artists. I was like underground weird music, but I would be like also playing fabric, like party music with like UK grime guys. And I was like, that was the beginning of me like trying to figure out how to make sense of all the different things I was doing. But, and it was hard. Like people would come on shows like, what is this shit? Or they go buy my album. Like, what is this shit? Nobody liked both of them, you know, but I did. <laughs> so... Then, then I think me and MIA and Switch like made me go like, okay, these guys got what I want to do. Like Switch is the best producer. He makes stuff that was like totally insane. You know, I don't know if I can include him on these questions, but like he was definitely the guy to take me under his wing and like make me a producer. Switch was the first, Switch was what I said about Wolford before. Switch is, Switch was one of the first guys where I was like, it barely even mattered if I liked the record. They sounded so much better <laughs> yeah. than every other record. It was yeah. like you couldn't even 
you had to, you, you kind of like, you couldn't even, you had to be careful what you played before what you played after. It was just like a cut of, yeah. Also, he just, it's like, you listen to him now, you're like, what the fuck was he thinking? But like back then, it was like, he was like, it was like literally punk rock. Like he would just put these, re- like these remix of like Khalees Bossy or something. It would just be like, someone glitch out. Yeah. And then it would, and then pff, and like a loopy, pff, it would just be, it was totally drunk as fuck in the studio. Like, what, how can I fuck this up? And then make a chaotic idea and then actually use logic to make it sound amazing. Like a million dollar record. So it doesn't matter how fucked up it is. Yeah. It's going to work. That's what I learned from him. Like you can be so fucking your ideas can be so fucked up, but if you spend time mixing the thing right, yeah. you can make it work. Yeah, but even better than that, it's like it's like fucked up for the raw material, professional for the polish at the yeah. end. You know? Like, yeah. like so the source material has some madness, and then yeah. then you worry. Like, but that's also what I love about yeah, switches in the super, super rare category. This is sick. Like that record that came that would come on. You do that record is a is a Seven fucked minutes. up record like that. And the, <laughs> so that's also up. one of those records who, who everyone loved that record. Like it didn't matter if you were house guy, techno that's, guy. That was, even me, like that was the first one that I started playing in my parties that was like more a hip hop crowd, but I played this record. I was shortening it a little bit and it was just people be like, fuck. Now we're now now I can transition. I can get whatever I want after that. Yeah. Once you get in, once you start playing this sick and the beat drops, yeah. then you can go wherever the fuck you want because you've got them. They're, they're hypnotized. that's a kind of record I'd love someone to make now. The thing crazy, that record also, it's also, it's like sexy yeah. and tough together. Yeah. Also too, it, I love, I've always loved it. Just that idea of craziness somehow reigned in. That's what Ben Galter did too. You know, like Ben Galter's tracks yeah. on the rocks, but I think switch and you do it. And I like to think I do it. It's that's the magic part of having all these broken up pieces in your head and pulling them together. It's like, they're not meant to go together. If you can get yeah. them to fit together, you got something. Back then, no, nobody was fucking with me in England. He was the only guy who was like, oh, I really like your ideas. Like, I think he was, because people loved him. He was still like the outsider, but he was r- ripping the parties apart because the music was so, him and him and Herve and a couple other, Jesse Rose, the whole squad, the whole like dub-sided squad. But he was like the first guy. None of those guys were, like really thought I was any good, but he was like, really gave me my like hope, you know, because he thought my ideas were good. He knew I didn't know how to produce very well, but he was like, you're, you're, you got something. And he, he really helped me fix everything. You know, and I feel like that was like my, I never had any teach me how to produce music. You know, he's as close as I got. Cause back nowadays you can just get a tutorial. You can just go on YouTube and learn how to make Ableton or Fruity Loops or, or, or copy a song in like 20 minutes. Back I remember then, you had a, I'm still, I'm still scarred for life. I have like PTSD from trying to set up MIDI in like 1994. Yeah. Like I still, I still am a bit like, uh, 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 like I, I, my instinct is still to be like, yeah. It's so, I mean, if I can only, if I can only start over again right now, like knowing what I know is like, fuck. Just to, just to, just to all the excess ability you have now as a young producer I just wish these guys like what what's the real value and what we have is that we have like the knowledge, you know, we have the knowledge of, like what what music brought us here to be who we are today. And now we can play with that. Back to the idea of what a DJ is. That's the only thing we really have. But if I could start over again, man, I wouldn't waste a, a year trying to figure out MIDI either. 
No. Or fucking how to like make a comp- my compressor work and why do my mics all sound like shit? Why are my drums? How, why can't I put anything in key? Why am I? Why is there a hiss on everything? Fuck off. <laughs> I I still kind of go through that. All that stuff still drives me crazy. I still suffer. I still deal with a lot of frustration. I mean, studios, being a studio, I, I haven't really got back into the studio thing to like really feel comfortable again. Like I'm in here on and off. I worked with some people. There's like two guys I really felt like a, I caught a vibe, but I I'm not motivated to be back in like a session anymore. You know, I'm kind of like, I like to sit in my sauna and I like to go on walks. Like I like, I'm not really feeling like jumping in this whole, like this rat race again. It's such a hard one. It's, it's like, I feel so lucky to like not, not have to. I'm, I'm, it's tainted, man. The, 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 the pandemic's fucks me all up. I just want to sit home and drink water and <laughs> play fetch with my pet turtle. Well, that, yeah. I mean, I wanted to ask you that. Like, you're, I'm, I mean, I feel like that too. I'm like just an ambitious, I don't know exactly where it comes from. It's just like, you know, you just always got some giant list in your head and it just doesn't seem to really go away. But yeah, for you, you say it's got you fucked up. You mean, I just, I just, I just like really like freedom. concentrating on like, yeah, I, which is not really free. I do. I do love when people are back on shows, I'm going to have FOMO, you know, I'm trying to keep it like more chill right now. I'm doing, I just trying some things, but you when people ready? go back on you tour. You have a show. I'm the one with FOMO now. <laughs> but you, but you're <laughs> Canadian. So you just got one your country. You guys don't, you guys don't count. We're social. We got, we're like all patiently waiting in line for like an extra six months for a vaccine. That's crazy. I know. I actually, that's one of the greatest things about this year was COVID was the death of FOMO. It, it was, a, temp, was, it was a temporary, temporary hiatus of FOMO. Or because you couldn't do anything. You couldn't do anything. So you couldn't feel bad about it. Anyway, that's putting a, a nice silver lining on it. But <laughs> what a, what's, a, what's a record that brings you to tears? Oh, man. I don't think I have one at the moment. I cried once, DJ. Once, I actually teared up. Tell me what that song was. It was a uh... tattoo. <laughs> what tattoo? The Russian girls? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, that'd be good. That's like full American Psycho. Like the only thing that makes you cry is tattoo. Um, <laughs> I might, I might have a good idea. Maybe I was on drugs though, but I have a good answer for you. You go. You, you want. It might be okay. My, and back in Philly, we had like such a cool little vibe. And I remember I bought my first warehouse there, like my my first built, building I owned because I bought I made it out after doing shows and I bought it for like a hundred thousand dollars in my neighborhood. And we made the office there for Mad Decent, and we had shows there. We had I bought these big bass bins from uh, Puff Daddy. Actually, sold them to me. Like he had a at Daddy's house. He sold he sold a studio, and I bought his giant bass bins. We had these parties there, and the very first show we did was Scream, and it was at a uh, he had, he had never been to America before and it was like super underground. And I remember he played, it had just come out, but he played the screen remix of, of LaRue going for the kill. And that might've been a teary one. Cause that song is like, heard the, the lyrics are amazing on that record, but it's like the fucking, I might've been crying cause my foot, he ruined my roof or something. The subs is like shut. The whole thing was like shaking, but maybe him playing that record being his record on vinyl in that room was probably like, wow, we really brought this to Philly, you know, like the scene and like that, that song was like, wow, what a powerful fucking record.
I used to go to Philly. I used to go to 611 Records. That's a spot. I used to shoplift from there. And then I'd go to, I'd get a cheesesteak at Ishka Bibbles. Right around the corner. Right? On South Street, right around the corner. That's the spot. And for me, that was like, for me coming from Montreal, that was... Because you guys got the smoked meat. This also gives you a stomach ache. <laughs> we have Schwartz's. But that was my deep American experience. I was like, this is it. I'm, I'm a Yankee for right now. That place, I mean, I like, I would eat, I would eat uh, some fucking uh, cheesesteaks. I would still do it now today. I'm kind of like more healthier than that, but man, you can only, you have to eat two with the, with the peppers, with the, with the, with the, with cheese whiz. It's so fucking good. The bread is good, but it makes you so, it makes you sicker than the Pfizer vaccine second dose. It's a rough one. Have you had, have you had both your doses? Just got my second dose today at Walmart in, o- in Oxnard. I had to drive an hour to get it. At Walmart? Is yeah. that a real thing? You're not making that up? No, it's I, it's like go to the gardening section. They have the they have the vaccine right there in the guard, garden section. Could America be any more American? Is it possible? I had to drive just... to Oxnard, like a suburb. The, well, and there's nobody there but me. And sitting in the gardening. So I have a photo. I'm just sitting in the garden section with my fucking vaccine dose. I'm show you. It's me. I'm kind of jealous. Just by myself in a, in our in the in the garden section with the manure behind me. Man, you're lucky. So we share two, two real loves. I think, well, aside from all the music thing, Jamaica and India. And I remember I, 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 a few times, like, I'll reach, I'll see you're in India, whatever, and I'll send you like, fuck, I'm jealous. Or whatever. Like, you, you, you lived there for a while, didn't you? When you were younger? I grew up in Goa until I spent six, half of every year there until I was about 12. Because your parents are ravers? Yeah. Wow. Were your parents Israeli? No, but I mean, it's conceivable. It's not, not totally dissimilar. Because back in the day, it was most like, this is, you're talking about 40 years ago. In the, when I was a kid, it was mixed up. It was Italian, German. It was just, because when I was really young in the seventies, it was just, I mean, it's kind of the original rave center for the world. Like you had, if you were a freak from anywhere, that's where you'd end up. And then in the eighties and nineties, it, it went really Israeli and then Russian. I, I never been. I only went to Goa once. I thought the beaches were kind of like whatever. No, no, Goa, forget it. But India, India is like, oh my god! And I was there. It's crazy. I was there twenty years ago. I just found a picture of me there. I saw one of you like with a backpack, like cute kind of traveler, and that really I, it made me happy. I, I was there twenty years ago. And I saw like the beginning of sort of like the new industrial revolution that happened there. The highways had just been completed. You know, you're taking a motorcycle. I had a motorcycle. You only ride at night so you don't get too sick from the pollution. And you stop at the tea, the tea stations. You drive for four hours and you find another guest house. And you go to back to bed again. I have a day in that city. And then you drive again. And um, I remember like seeing like exploded buffaloes on the side of the road. It was just like the, 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 the technology just came to India. Like it was like totally like ripping the whole place apart. And I remember going to like Mumbai and there was no clubs happening. I went to one strip club in a whole city in a basement of a hotel. Super weird. And then I go there 20 years later and it's like, there's 65 clubs going on in Mumbai until 7 a.m. every night. Everybody's partying, the girls, the boys, everybody's together. It wasn't as like segregated as it was back in those days. And I see like the high rises and like the Bollywood and everything. It's just like, I, I can't believe that. It's just 20 years ago, the mm-hmm. difference, how the hippie you know, was, the hippie era was still there. And I think it still is there. If I go to Rishikesh or something today, I'm sure you're still going to have like, you're going to go across that bridge of the monkeys the misty bridge over the river, over the, over the Ganges. And you'll still, 20 years ago, there was still a Choti Mandi, which is that like McDonald's of, of India with like the big fat Baba guy who's like out, out front. 
Oh yeah, it's, yeah, it's yeah. like a McDonald's with the Indian guy, and there still was that twenty years ago. People like like lined up for that, but there's probably going to be like a Starbucks there now, you know, and stuff like that. But I think there's you're not going to get rid of get rid of the spirituality of that place, you know, the raw history. There's nowhere like living in America. You you just realize you you know you're you're only your 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 culture your country is only four hundred years old, like less. And you think about everywhere else in the world, which is actually a long ass time. That's like seven eight generations. But you think about India, that's like forty thousand year old culture, you know. Do you think like obviously you like to travel and you like to? I mean, I bring up the Indian thing because like I I always think it's a bit of a you know, people think of DJs who are traveling all over the place and right away they think of like, you know, Dubai supper clubs and blah, blah, blah. But I know you like that type of real travel. And I guess you did it in Brazil and you've done it everywhere. Do you ever think when you first got the chance to DJ everywhere and to travel, I mean, was that, that must've been a huge thing for you, right? Just the opportunity. Yeah. To go back to India even into D. Oh no. I think Brazil is the first one where I was like, wow. Cause I was there just, putting in work like i was like i'm gonna go in there because i don't i'm gonna take all my money and try to go there and just explore the music and be part of the scene or whatever and eventually uh you know i think i brought back you know music we made some stuff with mia and then to go back there and play this festival called the tim festival you, you must have played it back in the day too it's like a phone company's festival in, in rio oh, yeah. only only festival in rio really and um to play that show and like have like play like funk right our record for people and, like all the hipsters are there and like be part of it it was like to bring that back after working there for so long was like an awesome experience to play like that, that festival. I think actually, I think so, so too many DJs probably headlined it at that point. But, uh, it, it, I, those guys always were just always headlining over me T 15 years ago, everywhere I went, I was like six below those guys. They're one of the homies. And even my, the, the, the thing that hurts my, my heart the most is that I built up this party called Hollertronics. And every night, every time we did a party, every month we did it once a month, the craziest party in the city. We had fucking a line out the side. We made so much money selling beer. We had kegs. And one night, Dave Pianca's like, look, I don't want to do this party at mine. These guys want to play your party, but I wanted to make it my thing. These guys, too many DJs want to play your 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 your, your Ukrainian social club. Cause it's like a cooler thing. They want to do like an underground thing. I was like, okay, whatever. They can play, but they're not gonna do anything like what we do. It's not gonna make it's not gonna be the numbers we do. And it's like the craziest fucking thing that I ever did. Like <laughs> it was like shut down the whole city, the line, it was like only like a 500 maybe a thousand capacity room and they just like shut it down like and I'm, i didn't go i remember asking i remember the next day i went to the party we did i asked the guy who owns it like his old 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 harry or something the old ukrainian guys like man those those, those european guys he's like I, I got like a louisiana accent he's like a ukrainian guy he's like i don't know you gotta have to you have to do you know step it up a little bit now the owners of the actual club told me that after i'd given those guys the best party for a year of every month oh, making them so much money old ukrainian guys like that they respect they they like real showbiz they saw real showbiz that night i didn't believe it was embarrassing probably the part of the, like the low light of my like dj career was like that <laughs> that moment i remember for years i played like hundreds of parties with dave and steph and after a while i was like I remember I would just be like, I'm not playing. I'm not going on after you. Like, I just don't want to do it. I don't want to deal with it. I don't want to come on after Ace of Spades mixed into Dolly Parton. I'm not, yeah. I'm just, I just, I can't, I can't deal with it. Like, I don't. I got to bring it back. I mean, I really, I really feel like maybe, not for Diplox, I'm trying something else this summer, but like, there's got to be someone that just come with like, not really the classic classics. I don't want to like alienate young people that don't know like Ace of Spades, obviously, but there might be someone that can come with like, 
the recent songs, like you know, Daft Punk "Get Lucky" mixed with some other, like with some with some things that are. I don't know who can do it. Okay, but check. This is where it gets interesting with the time, right? Because, you know, when Dave and Step, let's say if it's 2001 and they're playing Blue Monday, Blue Monday was only 15 years old. Mm -hmm. It sounds crazy to think. So now that's like us playing a record from 2006. It's like a, it's like a near classic. It's like a, like, like saying, yeah, it's like Sean Paul get busy or give me the light. That's like what, that's like, that would be like something for that era of the kids. Like they might've been, they might've been five when it came out, but that's something they can get into. Yeah. Speaking of which I, I was, I don't know why I typed in Diplo into my, uh, to kind of get in the mood. I typed it into my iTunes library. And first thing I saw, like, it's funny out of like your hundreds of records. And I was just listening to the, uh, What's that, Peter Bjorn and Paul? Oh, Peter Bjorn and Paul remix. <laughs> I, I, I was just like, but you got like hundreds of all these like super produced things, and I'm just like jamming out to that one. That is a that's a that's a rough that's a rough one, man. That's a rough. That's that's, that's a rough some, one for that's me. Some, that's a beginner. That's a yeah. That was before Switch really started. I was like me learning Ableton on my own. I like it though. I love it. I, it's funny I, the version I played. Let me see if I can find it here. Uh, had a had a vocal on top. When it drops to halftime, though, it's it's dope. The whole thing's dope. No one ever. The thing is, no one was doing that. Uh, That's back what then. I mean. That's what I mean. Like, okay, the the production oomph wasn't totally there, but the, you hear the. I love it. I listened to it three times. Oh yeah, I went to reggae. There's like full reggae music. Yeah. <laughs> And it sounds like it almost sounds like one of those like on an old synth like a demo mode. You know? Yeah. <laughs> Wow, I'm listening to this right now. It's insane what I was trying to do there. The ideas were there. The ideas were there. The execution wasn't. You were. You just needed switch to walk in the room, but it was oh, there. And be like, tr- tr- put this in the trash, mate. <laughs> <laughs> dream lineup you can make a fantasy party dream lineup who's who plays all right these questions i don't really have good answers for because okay then i'll make it easy give me two dream artists they play with you not djs no not djs not real people <laughs> real, it'd be real good I would, I would have dave Chappelle at one of these shows okay doing stand-up because it's just like he's just like the one of the best creators of our generation you know, it's funny you say Chappelle, because like I find lately when I get a little bit discouraged, like what you're saying about the state of whatever music, Internet, blah, blah, blah. Oftentimes, I think the only people that still like got it 100 percent are comedians. Sometimes I feel like Chappelle is a perfect example, like the only one really taking everything in and processing it. Yeah. In an- I mean, he really he really walks a fine line. I was like, listen to his like stuff about you know Kevin Hart the other day, like it's like weird. Like he still works with like sarcasm and I think he's big enough and funny enough and like real enough for people to like identify with that. He can kind of keep doing that. And if he gets, he gets a lot of hate on some things, a lot of criticism, but I think people are always going to buy into his art because they love it. You know, they love it. You can get away with pretty much anything if you're that smart. Yeah. 
he's just that smart. He just, he can, he can walk the, the tightest line because he's just smarter than everybody. Yeah. He's so fast spending time with him in real life. Like you just you think it's a joke, but he's so witty. Oh shit. Okay. Like everything me, he sees, everything I was saying was theoretical. You give me some yeah, real. <laughs> I spent time with him mostly because he's really good friends with John Mayer. And I had like a little, little, little period. I was going to hang out with those guys. And he just like so fast, like the things he thinks of and just tongue in cheek and offensive just enough. So he's like, it stings a little bit. Things sting a little bit, but you know, he's your, he's your best buddy, you know? What a, so one musical guest. So it's like Chappelle, then you, you, then Chappelle, then uh, for you. This is your dream. This is your party, your dream party. Okay. I'll, I'll, I'm playing too. If you want, <laughs> you don't want to fight. I would probably book, uh, I don't know, man. It really, I mean, traveling all over the world, it really depends on where I'm going to be. Cause like I would book some, if I want to be somewhere where like there's Caribbean people, I'll book Michelle Montano because he has this crazy show that goes anywhere. And that's, we always play with him. When we play shows. I'm like, damn, this guy's like the soul wax of the Caribbean. So, so pick the city too, globally. Anyway, oh. this is your party. Like you can set this up exactly. You want everyone's there that you want. All right. We're playing in Miami. Okay. Dave Chappelle, uh-huh. Michelle Montano. And, um, and they're, they're dead alive. Anything dead or alive. Well, yeah, dead or alive. Uh, the clash. Okay. And um, Clash, like, later in their career. So there's a little funkiness, not just straight punk. Well, they can play, like, um, Shrestay or Lachago, you know, about that, you know. That. Which is crazy. That's, like, a number one record. That record is even, like, you think about the career, you think about that record. That's, like, a classic rock jam anthem. That was a bar mitzvah record. Yeah, but it's still, like, them. It's still, like, their career in the middle of the punk scene. They're, like, having a number one record. That's, like, a yeah. kind of a country whatever record. Um, let's see. Uh, more people... Waylon Jennings, because my you know a lot of rednecks out there in Florida. My parents will want to hear, hear that. So you really love country music, right? I do love country music. Yeah, that's something I really loved when I was like younger. That's a guy I would never saw. That, that that era of like the outlaw country, I loved that I never was. That's like before my time. But the older I get, the more I get into country music. You were into what's his name, Andrew Jackson, right? Alan or, Jackson, right? yeah. Alan. <laughs> Andrew Jackson was one of the presidents of the United States that got impeached in the in the eighteen fifties. He was one of the few presidents that got impeached and actually got like, it was like a killer. He like killed some other guy during presidency. Huh. Sick guy. Total fucking weirdo. Proper American president. Um, yeah. I love country music. And the, more, the older I get, the more I like it. The more I like the folkier stuff, like the old school stuff. Like there's a funny, I a funny quote about Waylon Jennings. It was that it was during the, um, we are the world. Uh, Stevie Wonder was like, I want to put some Zulu in this part of the song. Like, I want to put one of you guys to sing Zulu. And it was Willie and Jennings' line. He's like, I'm out of here. <laughs> I'm fucking out. Like, I don't fucking want to be part of the song anymore. I go, if I'm not singing Zulu. Um, but uh, I'm skipping my show. I'm going to put Bob Marley in there since he's like dead or alive. Yeah. Um, so Dave Chappelle, Bob Marley, The Clash, Waylon Jennings. Actually, the whole highway, man. So that's Waylon Jennings. Uh, uh, Willie Nelson, Chris Christopherson, and one of the other guys. Like the, it's like the big mega, like mega super boy band of country music, and they had some dope ass records. And then, um, let's put up like Golden Era uh, Wu Tang. Okay, no DJs allowed. And then like let's let's let let's let Jam Pony Express play too. My my, my Nantiga will can do can play the after party, limited edition capacity. I'll go on after Bob Marley. I think that's. <laughs> Or Bob can bring me out on stage. I feel like I there hold. should be like, what we're going to do, 
since we're going to have to pay for the show, we're going to have it sponsored by like vitamin water. So the whole thing they want you to do is do a collab with Bob Marley. So you can perform it live at that show. I'm like, listen, Bob, this is what we're going to do. What's something you learn from country music that you apply, that you can apply to production or uh, making other music? Maybe it's not production. It's probably in the songwriting because, you know, when I went to Jamaica, it was like probably the first place where like country music was like kind of popular in a weird way. Like there's country stations there and like, um, there's like they, people still love country and you think about like a lot of Jamaican records like reggae records they're basically country records in the exact same you know way that the format's built like the way the songs are written like really literal simple lyrics but perfect lyrics like country when I write records with country guys the verse might take three days and it's like there's nothing complicated going on there's no like hyperbole there's no metaphors just like the perfect words the perfect thing the perfect way super simple um, so that's one thing I learned from country is like the, the simplicity of it uh, the groove. Um, there's cool country music too. There's like dance country music. There, you know, like of course Dolly did some of that. There's like uh, line dancing records. Billy Ray did some of those. Um, even like Chattahoochee. Like I think I think Alan Jackson had some of the biggest like club club country records. Faith Hill too. She's Canadian. Thanks. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I it, it's like I, I get more into the folky side of it. So like I like stuff like Towns Van Zant and like D- Bob Dylan. Uh, as I get older, because that's like country music. That's like Woody Guthrie stuff. That's like country music, um, folky country music. There's a lot of young guys that are so sick, like Culture Wall, and like it's a whole other podcast. You know, we're saying like when America, when everyone's getting vaccinated, it's like the best of America. Same also for me, like Bob Dylan, Woody Guthrie. That's like America. Yeah. Like the the that's like the beautiful, the best, all the threads, the best threads pulled together. Um, you're a lot of VIP guest. Nah, I, this thing, the only thing I learned is like, I don't, even, I shut the guest list off. Mm-hmm. I can't answer the text like that anymore. If you know somebody else, it's, you can get in. I don't need you to be at the party. Like I'm, I hate going to Vegas or whatever. And I have like 600 texts. I got to send it to the guy and the people can't get in. They text me. I'm like, I don't give a fuck about this. I'm DJing right now. You know, like I don't want to deal with guest lists. That's my wish. Okay. No guest list. Someone else is in charge. Oh man. I just remembered something. I don't get too, I, I usually don't get nervous meeting people, but one time I was with you I don't remember where we were. And you were like, yo, that's Movado. And you introduced me to Movado. And I was crazy nervous. Oh, yeah. Wait, were we, were we in Jamaica? No, no, I wish. I'm obsessed. It was in New York, it was, probably. I, I, it was the most nervous I've ever been meeting. It was the only time I was literally, that was literally crazy like, meeting. You introduced me to Movado. Anyway, that's neither. Fuck, I love Movado. Yeah, that's a good, that's a good one. I remember, remember my first my first real friend in dance hall was vibes cartel because he came to Philly and I, I recorded my first song was with him. And if there's anybody, I'm going to choose one of my vibes cartels, the closing as the closing song just to end this in the podcast. But uh, if there's anything like I've ever learned, like by, by, by people I've worked with, it's like, he might be the most special artist I've ever, ever done records with because of how fat, like the Dave Chappelle thing is how fast his brain works, how insane his ideas are. But he's, he was stuck in the, like, vacuum of, like, ghetto Jamaica. So he, like, you, you, see, you still see the power of what he did because he's still the biggest artist that's ever happened in dancehall. And when we see back, when we look back on it, it'll just, it'll, it'll be, like, he'll, be, he'll, he'll take up, like, 80% of, like, all the information of dancehall. And he's still in prison the last six years. And he's still taking up that much bandwidth. But the way he wrote records, the way he did the love songs, the way, he's, the way he talks about his body and the, who he is in Jamaica and, like, um you know, African diaspora, like the way he like integrates the rest of the world. with It's like every, all the things he does. But then sometimes when I see some of it, like with the WhatsApp, we had WhatsApps during jail 
for like I had like 16 different numbers for him. And we were still talking about things and recording some ideas. And the things he would say to me on WhatsApp were so beyond comprehension. Like the ideas and, and the things he would his oh my god, I got I got to screenshot some of these things. Send but, me, send me. I'm I love him. I mean, I, want, I think a documentary has got to be made about him and like with him narrating it and like part of it because like you just he's just so bizarre of a person's mind works like somebody I've ever I've never met someone whose mind is that crazy it's like he's like Andy Kaufman or like what Dylan must have been back there you know he just he's just this genius it's like I can't explain it wow can't explain it. I love him so we got to end up what's your closing record or your funeral record listen I'm gonna end, end with cartel <laughs> it's <either> gonna be <laughs> <laughs> baby the dumb the dumb it's a uh, I mean uh, what the fuck which one song you did call Love song? It was a love song he did. But one of the ones with Dre Skull? No. Yeah. I think it was actually. Uh, you, your love? Yeah, your love. Oof. That's funny. It was maybe it's gonna be your love is my like my death. That's my funeral song. It's like I'm programming your funeral. You did that. You figured that whole record out. It was that was your love. Huh? You know, I was also gonna put here, yeah, I got the perfect one. I got the perfect one. Ready? It's gonna be a mashup to really end the whole show. Okay. A mashup of Vibes Cartel's Your Love uh-huh. with Peter Gabriel, Your Eyes. Same tempo, same key. Your Eyes are one of my favorite songs of all time. It makes That's probably one of the songs that made me tear up. If I, guess, if it, I never saw the right 80s movie that used it, but I'm sure there's a scene that would make me cry. It's so good. But we'll mix those together somehow. I don't know how. Maybe the bass line and Peter Gabriel, but they're both the same sentiment. Both some amazing songs and one of my top. That's perfect. A, a mashup of those two songs. You're out. I like it. Okay. That was good. Came together. Wes, thanks. It was perfect. Anytime I'm gone where she miss me, she said the love she offered me is a mystery. She hold me like a baby and kiss me. Hold me like you really, 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 really miss me. You move me like an epilepsy. Even if your family has stressed me. Did you enjoy that? Do you want more of that? Well, I just so happen to have a solution. If you want extended versions of every episode, including bonus content, sometimes 15 minutes longer, sometimes an hour longer, sometimes an entire extra episode, things that are mind-blowing, exposés, secrets, drama, if you want more of it, you sign up to my Patreon membership service. It is called Club Sexor. You go to www.patreon.com and you simply get more of what you already love. Extended, bonus, exclusive versions of Last Party on Earth. That's it. Enjoy. Last Party.